Welcome to the show, Paul George in studio with Adam Conk, talking all things art of living. Adam. Paul. It is the season of waiting. I think so. Yeah, and speaking of the season of waiting, you guys have literally been waiting. Feels like nine months already. Yeah. But today's the due date, Paul. That's right. So I may need to leave at any moment to go help my wife have a baby. So could you like get a text message and just do like a baby and head out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like just if you hear like a thud, that's me dropping my headphones and running away. So just FYI. To bring your wife to the hospital. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. You Very get to have exciting. a baby in, in Advent. Yeah. Which love is it. which is so, you know, Adventy. <laughs> it's advantageous. <laughs> it is advantageous. <laughs> we had a baby in Advent. Oh, yeah, it's been a year now, huh? Year, yeah. She's a year old now. Congrats. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. So, and then <laughs> last year, right after the baby, literally, because baby was a little late. Well, no, on time, but we thought she would come early. Women are never late. So, in, in our mind, baby was late, but I had to do an Advent mission like a week after the baby was born. Ooh. Or may, maybe like a few days. So I was scheduled to do an Advent mission, and I did it. And Gretchen made it, huh? Yeah, we survived the great adventure. We all have some help. I mean, your your kids are older. You're older kids, so they helped out with the baby, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, everybody chips in, man. That's what family does. What is this Advent mission thing, Paul? What's the point? You just did one. You know, what's been interesting is back in the day, like when I was a young person, Way back when, Advent missions weren't a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's sort of, it's the advent of Advent missions basically <laughs> over over the last few years. But Advent really, it's obviously a season, mm-hmm. and it's a significant season. In the last show, we we talked about Advent. You talked about it being your fa- favorite season, and, and here we are. And in it's some exciting. ways, it is mine as well. But you know, the church would say that Advent's sort of this mini Lent. It's it's a mini time of. Uh, of fasting, of of you know penance, of preparing ourselves for Christ. You know, whereas Lent, you know, is a little bit longer, and we're really focused on the the passion of Christ. You know, in Lent, and then the resurrection. You know, at Easter, whereas Advent, we're really focused on Jesus coming in the flesh, the incarnation. You know, and so what's happened is that. You know, parishes and churches are really kind of doing these Advent missions and, you know, to really get people to engage in the season of Advent. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, what are the fruits you see? Like you just did one in uh, Texas, right? Yeah. So I just got back from Dallas. I did a three-day Advent mission. Here's what's funny about church seasons, particularly for Catholics. So if you're not Catholic, you know, this is sort of like, Inside baseball stuff. It's, yeah, well, it's it's almost like the seasons come and people are like, "Oh man, I need to get serious about my faith." Yeah, or I need to get into a Bible study, or I need to do something, or Advent reflection, or Lenten, you know, reflection. You know, it's like the seasons come and it's like, "Oh, I got to do something." It's mm-hmm. like the beginning of the year when everyone says, "I need to work out." Yeah, and then like by March, they their, their gym membership is canceled. I get frustrated with that. 
not with the seasons, because I do think the seasons is like, hey, wake up. This is a time to re-engage and re-enter in. So the beauty of the church is it has its cycles because they know, they know the church knows, God knows that we're human. And we have the real ability to get lazy and to forget. So I love yep. the fact that there's these cycles in that and that we all do get lazy and we forget. And it's like, oh, Advent's here. But it's not meant to just simply be like, we're, we're not meant to live our faith in the seasons. We're meant to live our faith year round is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, and I think a buzzword for the past few decades, maybe a couple of decades, but right now is formation within the church. Like we talk about formation, formation, formation. Um, well, the liturgical cycle has always been our main formation as a people. And you're right. Like we can use it as a mental wake up. Okay. It's time to think differently about our life. It's time to get engaged or whatever. But if we're if we're really committed year round, the real question is, how does Jesus want to form me right now in this season? What is it about Advent that is good for my soul and good for my life? And so let me embrace that so that it enriches my relationship with Christ that I live all the time. It's not so much, oh yeah, let me take this God thing seriously for a couple of weeks. Yeah. That's not the point of it. Yep. So I thought in the mission that I just did, um, and you know, the talks were longer, you know, but I thought like walking away from it there were like three real main storylines that came out of the mission in a sense from the talks from the prayer and from conversations with people and uh the first main storyline is this is that in in advent we don't think a lot about it but it's really one of a reflection of the reality that jesus comes to set us free like jesus the incarnation christ is coming into the world and it means a ton. It means everything. Like this is a game changer for the world and for us. And Christ comes to set us free is the reality of Advent. Like we can't pass up Advent and not think about the real meaning of the incarnation of Jesus coming into the world. Yeah, and what I love about Advent and Christmas is you're right. The the whole reality is Christ comes to set us free, which is the good news. And so there's a certain news and evangelization aspect to Advent and Christmas that really culminates in the Epiphany, which is who Jesus is revealed to the world, to the Gentiles. And people come from all over the world to see who this Jesus is because he sets us all free, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, from the tyranny of sin and every earthly tyranny when he comes again in glory. But this is great news, you know. I bring to you glad tidings, right, the angel said. And so... Advent and Christmas is a, is a wonderful evangelization time to, to share that good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was interesting. I was listening to um, a study that I heard on the radio that said that uh, of the people who don't go to church, you know, cross-denominational, don't go to church, 50% of those people said if someone asked them to go to church at Christmas, they would go. 50, huh? 50%. Because it's such this time of like rejoicing, and I think it is this season where people are really open to family and community and the hope of Jesus. And this is what Advent is. Advent is really, really great news. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing in Advent of Jesus setting us free is my hope for me at Advent for other people is that you're not dealing with the same uh, pattern that you were dealing with last Advent. We're always going to be dealing with issues in our life. Like we're not perfect. So it's this Advent is like, Jesus, what do you come 
coming to set me free from this mm-hmm. Advent and, and just really journey with Jesus and Advent with that. So at the end of Advent and Christmas season, it's like, all right, I really work through that, and next Advent is going to be something else. You know, I can really see myself moving forward. Because I think a lot of times, you know, it's like we look back, we get to Advent, we'll be in Advent next year, 2019, be like, I'm in the exact same place spiritually as I was last Advent. Yeah, and a lot of times our decisions are, am I going to choose chocolate or Coke to give up? Right. And that's basically our big decision, our big discernment. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like like dig in, like really for spiritual movement forward, you know. So Jesus comes and says free was this big thing, theme, and I had a lot of people uh, talking to me about that because the incarnation is a really big deal, and I think we need to sit with it. That's why the whole idea of waiting is like, Waiting is patience. It's sitting with the reality of Jesus and the incarnation before we go off into, you know, the next season. It's like, hey, really reflect on this because it's a game changer for us. It is. And I think we need to be reminded in Advent and Christmas that Christ dwells with us. And I try to imagine, you know, back in the day, let's say Jesus comes to preach in a town, okay, and he shows up. And let's say you know who he is. Like, he is the Messiah, He is the Son of God, like I know who Jesus is, right? And he shows up, and I'm listening to every word. I'm I'm hanging on everything he says. I'm watching everything he does. And then I go home, and I go to sleep. And then I wake up, and he comes back again. Well, now it's a whole new thing because it's like, all right, this, this God of the universe who's become man, who's incarnated in Jesus Christ, has come to me to teach me something, dwell with me, be with me, but he comes back again the next day. And then the next day. And so I think there's two temptations there. One is I can actually get used to the presence of Christ in a bad way. In other words, I'm, not, I'm no longer looking for anything new from him. Right. Right? I become comfortable with him in a way that I'm complacent. But then on the flip side is to not recognize the blessing that God has given us in Jesus Christ, that he literally does stay with us, God with us, all the time. This is a big deal. Yep. And um, anyway, so I, I think... Advent or any change of season, we're like, oh, oh, this is so cool. And I'm, or when we're at Mass, for example, I'm gonna hang on every word Father says or listen to Jesus, whatever. But then we go home. Well, the thing is, Jesus is still with us as we go home. He goes into the parking lot with us as we curse out people as we're leaving and they cut us off. Like Jesus is with us all the time. And that's the mystery of Christmas and the incarnation. Christ never leaves his people. And God dwells with us, with us through the incarnation. It's amazing news, but it doesn't really, we don't really get it sometimes. Absolutely. So the, the other theme, uh, theme that, that came out is that Christ comes to reestablish God's reign in the world, right, and to set a new covenant. Uh, it's God's final act of freedom. I mean, you know, Advent is about waiting for the second coming as well. It's waiting now, and it, it's preparation for the second coming. But there's not another Jesus coming. Mm-mm. There's not another Christ. You know, we're not waiting for another Savior Jesus already came. We're living in the new covenant. And Jesus comes to establish the identity of God in the world, the identity of Christ, you know, claiming the world for himself. This is why Jesus goes back into Egypt to set free, to, to claim it. And here's the reality is this, is that at Advent, it's a time to reflect on what is our true identity as God's sons and daughters. Do we belong to that kingdom or not? Yeah. 
And, and but then that's it because here was here's the reality of when we think about being you know what we call divine filiation, divinely filiated with God, like we're adopted sons of daughters, we're now in God's family through Christ. There's nothing more than that, right? Like, like there's nothing beyond that. You know, when you're God's son, daughter, your your claim, your identity is that there's no. There's nothing more to get. Like that's the fullness of the treasure of Christ is becoming His and His alone. But a lot of us, that's really tough because we, maybe we didn't grow up in a certain household or like experience life in a certain way. Where, like I can remember this feeling like something was missing, even though I had so much in my life already. Like I belonged to my parents, great parents, um, had good friends, but something was like missing. Yeah. Now. That's kind of the American story. I mean, every, especially young people. Like, there's just something. Even though we have people in our life that love us, even though we have an identity and a relationship, it's like something's missing. Um, even if we have God in our life, I think that's so true. And we live in a world where we can fill our lives with so many things that we don't think about what's really missing. So it's just stuff. And this season, as we get ready for Christmas, is just filled with stuff. Yeah. Okay. When we talk about identity, here's the third theme that came out, so they're all connected, is this, is that we all, and people really struggle with the reality of this in our identity with Christ, that we don't have to do anything to earn it. There's nothing more that we can do that we we can't, you know, like, it's so many people think, I got to do more, work harder, I got to earn more, I got to get a better this and bigger that, and and. I got to constantly be moving and and doing all these things to earn God's love and my identity as a son and daughter. And the reality is this, is that the biggest sinner on the earth's identity in Christ, Christ came for that person just as much as he came for me in my own sinfulness. And there's nothing I can do to earn that. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything to earn Jesus' love. Right. That's uncomfortable because we we live in this culture where we got to earn and do more to get. And the reality is with Christ, he comes not because we did anything. Christ comes because he loves us. Yeah. And he comes right now, you know, and I think we we forget that, like you mentioned, even the worst sinner on earth, Christ comes for that person just as much. And he comes right now. You know, he didn't just come 2000 years ago to do something that we all have access to. He comes right now to me in my life. When I wake up, first thought of the day, Christ is there. And he loves me, and he's calling me to himself. And this is what Advent is all about. Pope Benedict, I know you love Pope Benedict. I do. But he talked about the three comings of Advent that we celebrate. One is the second coming, where we begin in the readings like this past Sunday, focusing on the second coming of Christ. Then we celebrate the first coming of Christ at Christmas, which we'll shift gears next week into. But he said the real point of it is this third coming of Christ, which is every moment, Mm. that Christ comes every single moment. And that the season of Advent is a time to wake up to this presence. And he is everything to us. And that's the thing. Like, we say these things, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we give you our hearts. Jesus, whatever. We say all these things. And and what does Jesus say about that? He said, well, some people are going to be left out of heaven, and and they're going to say, Lord, we spoke, you know, in your name, and we drove out demons. And and he said, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, Hmm. but those who follow the will of my heavenly Father. And what did he say was the will of his heavenly Father? that we believe in the Son he sent and follow him. Hmm. 
right? Like that is our salvation, following Jesus Christ. And he comes to us so that we may follow him. How do we follow someone who's not with us? Like we're not talking about following a doctrine, although doctrine is part of that following. We're not talking about following a way of life, although a way of life is part of that. We're talking about following a person right. who is with us, right? And it, it contains religion, it contains doctrine, it contains all those things because Jesus establishes those things. But ultimately we follow him. And that's our salvation. That's the good news is that he's with us to follow him. Yeah. And Pope Benedict said, at Advent, we encounter an event, a person, and that person is Jesus. That that event is Jesus. You know, Jesus came to establish a new reign, uh, but it's not about a certain doctrine or theology, although we have all that. And that helps us to live fully uh, the gospel. But at the end of the day, Jesus comes to save us and live and reign in our hearts. And the reality of Advent is not to do more, but to do less. Like, what if we did less at Advent to reflect on the reality of what Jesus comes to do in our life and what Jesus comes to do to establish in in my life, to remind me that I'm a son of God and I can't earn that, can't do anything more about that, and I have to sit with that and really reflect on that, that that begins to change my life in a different way. And so if someone's listening and they're struggling with their identity in Christ, like like to be able just to, at Advent, really just sit in, you know, quote unquote, the manger with Christ um, in, in, the, in the reality of his coming with, with Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and just be, like slow down, and simply be with Jesus in Advent is probably the best thing that you can do. I mean, that was the first Advent, right? Yeah. It was very simple. It was less. He was born in a stable. And it was a time of intense faith of the Blessed Virgin and St. Joseph. Absolutely. Both had a very confusing time in their life, right? But they remained faithful to God who was calling them. And even in the midst of the cave or the stable wherever Jesus was born, Angels show up, shepherds show up, kings show up. And so God has a lot of blessings and glory for himself that he wants to give us if we, like you said, trim down everything else and just listen to him, be with him, let him love us and love him. That's where he wants to bless us. Not out in the palaces where Christ could have been born or, you know, with great fanfare. He could have been born at a time where social media existed and like we'd have a play-by-play of his whole birth, right? God, that would be hard. Mary's having contractions. And, you know, lots of tweets going out, right? He could have done that. He could have. But he wanted to be born very quietly, very simply, tucked away where nobody wanted him. But then that's where the blessings come from. Mm -hmm. And you know this as a father of seven, is that one of the few times in life where actually things slow down, which is going to seem crazy, is when you have a baby. Mm -hmm. You can't go to work. (laughs) You're stuck in a hospital. Your wife can't go anywhere. You don't have to feed, you don't have, you know, somebody's watching your other kids. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. like you're literally for a moment, like it's the one excuse where you tell people, we just had a baby. I can't do it. Yeah. Like everything slows down to celebrate this new life and you, you get this time to just sit and there's nothing you can do. And this is the reality of Christ coming. Like it, it slows everything down. So that we can reflect on who we really are in Jesus, and that becomes uncomfortable, which is why we get busy. Mm-hmm. We don't want to think about it. So that's the challenge for us this Advent. All right, when we come back, we're going to have a guest, Paul and Adam, talking Art of Living. 
The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here talking Art of Living. I have my good friend Brad Hahn from Arizona, SolidarityHealthShare.org. How you doing, Brad? Doing great. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, man. Uh, look, uh, it was great being in Arizona a few months ago, September, and um, getting to hang out with the staff there, you and Chris. Uh, it was really cool. What what a great uh, organization and staff. Um, yeah, it was just great to, to hang out with you guys. So thanks for letting that happen. Oh, no, you're welcome. It was a blessing to have you out there. I'm grateful that you can uh, were able to address our support team. It's it's amazing to me, Paul, that how such great people the Lord's bringing to us. You know, the ones that are just so impassioned and excited about the mission of solidarity, and and it's just uh, it's just uh, I'm so grateful just to be around our our staff, just such great people. Yeah, it really are, and they're dedicated to the mission, which is always cool. You know, when you hear about different organizations and their mission, uh, but then you get to hang out with them, and then you you see that the people who work in the mission are sold out for it. That's really gets you fired up. So that's, that was my takeaway from it. I, I became more of a, you know, a, a, I feel like a team player just by being around you guys. But, uh, so I, I love asking this question cause I, I love learning from other people, but do, does the Han family have any Advent traditions or things that you guys do in Advent? Yeah, we try to, uh, our goal is to have the Advent, you know, calendar and the Advent uh, candles out at the, at the kitchen table and to say a prayer every night before, uh, you know, before we eat dinner together. And uh, you know how it is with, with kids and especially teenagers now when we have the sports, it seems like uh, it, it's hard to get everybody around the kitchen table at night. Yep. And so at least we were able to do that on weekends, you know, thankfully. Because uh, during the week it's so crazy with basketball practice and, and such, but that's kind of our tradition is just to reflect on the, what Advent's about and, uh, and and what what the season means to us as a family, and then and have a have a nice uh, family meal together as many times as we can during the week. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I think sometimes people try to overcomplicate it, try to do too much. I guess you could say. And I always say like whatever you decide to do, just do do one or two things really good and simple. Because if not, you'll you just won't be able to do it all, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Our kids, even though they're sixteen and seventeen now, uh, we have a my sister lives over in Germany, so she still sends over those uh, those candy Advent calendars, right? And so every day, put up day one of you know uh, of Advent, and you get a little chocolate out of there. So they still, uh, even though they're sixteen and seventeen, they still love doing that, which is kind of kind of neat. I need one of those. That would be great. <laughs> um, so last time you and I talked, actually face to face, you were really kind of in a cool transition um, where you know you've been in full time law and you're obviously a lawyer and have really been integral in getting solidarity going um, and knowing the ins and outs uh, with your experience in the law, but. 
you've really decided to go more more full-time solidarity and part-time law and flip that that's pretty cool what what led to that decision well it was uh just the, the amount of time that you have in a week. You know, I was traveling so much for uh, solidarity. I'll give you just a typical week for me. I'd, I would be in Washington, D.C. for four or five days with meetings with congressmen and senators, key people from Health and Human Services, lobbying for conscience protection for us Christians and, and trying to protect, you know, health sharing ministries in general and solidarity in particular. And then I'd have all this follow-up I needed to do, and I would come back the next week on Monday morning, and I would have, you know, 30-some appointments at the law practice. And then finally, in, in April this year, I just said, I looked at my wife and I said, Julie, I just can't have two full-time jobs anymore. Um, something's got to give. And I, I just really started to pray for it, uh, pray through this. And I just felt like the Lord uh, has set me up perfectly to, uh, to lead solidarity uh, because of my background in law, number one, and my background in, in conscious protection and the involvement I have there. And then also my certification in bioethics that I have. It was just seems like um, my whole life I've been training for for to work and try to help solidarity. And so that that, that at that decision, then uh, my wife just looked at me and she says, "Brad, I knew this three months ago that you needed to make this decision, but I wanted you to develop it on your your own thinking on this." And when I came to her, she just I said, "Julie, I need to sell the law practice." She just looked at me and she says, "I agree." I've been discerning that too over the last couple of months. So it's kind of neat. I, I never shared that with my wife, you know, and, and she never shared anything with me for three months, but we were both privately discerning this. And then we came to the same conclusion at, yeah, well, she came to the conclusion. She's a lot smarter than I am, you know, three months before I realized what I had to do. And so that's, so I've been a lawyer for 21 years. I've helped, you know, many families set up trusts and wills and help families transition, you know, during a disability or death, and I'm selling all that, and I'm actually um, transitioning on the practice of law effective January 1. Wow. I, that, that's a great lesson, and the reason I asked the question, because I, I think it's so important, I think people who are listening, like, just the lessons fr from that conversation just now is, you know, discerning, discerning together, um, you know, marriage, you know, your, your wife's intuition, which a lot of times for me in my experience as well is my, my wife's intuition is always more on point than mine and ahead of schedule than mine, you know, um, yeah, but, but exactly. being able to, to listen to that, you know, and, and to take that in, I think is huge. And then I think for you, like in your discernment with this is like, you know, you just didn't, you left at the right time. Like, I think a lot of times people just kind of say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do it. And it, and the timing, it, it's about, God providing the right timing, and I think that was that was a good point that you made in your discernment uh, to take the leap and and go to this next step with solidarity. Yeah, yeah, I think it's 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 re it's been really uh, great for my family, and and I think too is uh, hopefully I'm inspiring my kids because my two children now they said they want to work for solidarity when they come back um, after college. Oh, that's which cool. I think is great. I think I think they really see. Um, what Chris and I are doing. And then, and then I think it's also kind of neat for the kids to see, Oh, dad's on the radio. He's on Paul George's show. You know, um, you know, I heard you on the radio today, dad, I saw you on EW 10 nightly news, you know, last week. And so the, it's kind of, um, I think they're kind of, I don't think they would say this teenagers. I don't think they would say this to the parents, but I think they're kind of proud what, what Chris and I are doing here. Um, trying to, um, lead with our faith, you know, trying to answer that call where, 
when the Affordable Care Act was passed, Paul, you know, and signed into law, you know, you know, you know, this too is there was no one out there protecting the laity, which I call the the butts in the pew, right? Mm, right. You know, the bishops' conference and everybody they were always so worried about you know protecting the institutional church, protecting the the diocese. Then that one conversation was around. Well, what about those faithful Catholics like Paul George in the in the pew wow. that needs health insurance? We're, we're not. And that's what really got me, um, I guess we would call it righteous anger. And I looked at Chris Spadis and I said, Chris, I said, no one's protecting the butts in the pew. And mm. so it, to me, it's morally unacceptable that us as faithful Catholics are forced to buy things that we find uh, morally objectionable, buy insurance that funds abortion, contraception, sterilization. I said, we need to, we need to solve this problem, Chris, uh, because no one else is solving this problem for faithful Catholics. And that's what's a, a credible blessing today is we're approaching right at 6,000 families now. Wow. You know, and, and we've only been doing this for two and a half years. And it's amazing the faithful families that we're getting. It's, um, and I remember first started this with Chris. I said, Chris, I said, how many faithful Catholic families are there out there that will follow this lead, you know, to do the right thing and how we pay for health care? And so far, I can tell you right now, Paul, it's 6,000. You know, we'll see, we'll see how many more follow. But um, we want to be that solution for those families that are trying to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, they're trying to follow their faith in everything they do. And so why would you just ignore the healthcare element out of that? Amen. And it does, you guys do protect the people and, the, and your conscience and provide the health sharing and the health caring. And here's the thing is, you know, the more people who are, who are part of the community— uh, the better it becomes, right? So there's more sharing involved, and there's there's more um, the ability to to really help cover the cost of 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 the expensive healthcare that's out there that we all know about, right? And I think as long yeah. as I've been knowing you guys and Chris, and then seeing this start out, and then when we we started um, partnering with you guys on the show. Um, you didn't have close to 6,000, like to see the, the growth over the last couple of years has been, you know, really astronomical, just seeing it move, move forward and grow there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll, I'll read something to you. Um, you know, Father Fessio from Ignatius Press, he just, he just sent me an email and an endorsement of solidarity. And I just love how he says it here. He said, uh, with solidarity, People are part of a community with common values and common sense. They will ask the medical help they really need and willingly help to pay for others in the community who do the same. Decisions are not made by stakeholders, not by the government or giant insurance companies, but simply the Catholic principles of subsidiarity, decisions made by those immediately affected, and solidarity, love of neighbor expressed by helping each other support the common good. Gosh. And uh, Father Fessio, Father Fessio, the genius he is and the great theologian he is, just summed up solidarity in that paragraph just so so beautifully. How we come together and form a community of, of one, you know, and we support each other mutually, not only in sharing of medical expenses, but but sharing in, in prayer among each other to make sure we're there to encourage one another. Absolutely, yeah. I was, you know, when you were reading that, I was thinking to myself, uh, he hit that spot on as far as what solidarity is and about um, y- y'all need to publish that, that quote from him because it's really good. Um, so I, I know <laughs> yeah, you guys uh, with, with solidarity, you know, are constantly enrolling you people, but you are in a, 
season of what they would call, I guess, open enrollment. What does that mean? Where's Solidarity? How, how can people get on board and, and get involved with Solidarity? Yeah, well, this is a time of the year with what they call open enrollment. And open enrollment means it's a, usually a six to eight week period in November, December, where people can go enroll in an Affordable Care Act plan through the, through the state exchange. And so it's usually individual plans, family plans, and this is the only time you can enroll for next year. Um, versus, so a lot of people are thinking of, well, I need this health insurance, you know, and such. And so then people are start asking, uh, hopefully, a couple questions. Is this still the, the right thing to do for me and my family? You know, and I think this is a great opportunity for solidarity and, and Catholic families to understand what solidarity is about is we do have a unique way to form a community and to share another one's burdens and, and financial expenses with health care without cooperating in immoral acts of abortion, contraception, and, and sterilization. So we have a lot of families that are looking at solidarity right now, and this is usually our busy time. Uh, but with Solidarity Health Share, since we're not insurance, we don't have this open enrollment requirement. And so we have a lot of families that join And one you know, classic example is maybe husband loses his job and loses his insurance, they join Solidarity, and, and they find the, the experience satisfactory and, and a great experience. And then when they go get the job, this is actually a true story. I remember was telling me a couple weeks ago, uh, Brad, we went and got another job, and it was a really lucrative, uh, great health insurance plan. But I told my employer, I am not going to take in that. You need to pay for me for Solidarity because, in good conscience, I can't participate in your health care insurance plan that funds contraception, sterilization, and abortion. I love that. And uh, to me, that's a great, uh, to me, that's a great sign is these faithful fans that once they come on board, they, they don't, they don't leave, you know, cause they understand the true value of what we offer. And they, they really understand that this is the only health sharing ministries is the only place we can truly protect our conscience uh, because of all the, the laws regarding insurance and everything. And, uh, that that's uh, those stories like that are just I just love hearing them. Yeah, that's so good talking to Brad Hahn, Solidarity Healthshare. A um, couple of minutes left. Uh, yeah, and that's what's cool. I don't think people understand is like in their own companies, if they have health insurance provided, they can opt out of that. Say, you know, I don't want the health insurance here. I'm gonna I'm gonna do you know individual family plan through Solidarity. Maybe their company will kick in or add to their salary to cover it or whatever the case may be, but. Um, they definitely can do that. They 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 can fight for that to have it on their own. So you're not forced to to that package maybe in your own company. And so what you're saying is true. I'm running into some families as well who, you know, obviously um, have health care through their company, but are choosing not to do it and and choosing to go solidarity route to protect their conscience. And you know, here's the thing: it's not just about protecting the conscience. It's actually good health care, health sharing, and it. It's, it's good insurance, quote unquote, you know, when I say that from what people would know, it, it helps, it's good. And it's, it's a quality yeah. brand of, of coverage for individuals and for families. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I'll give you an example. One of our members who first joined Solidarity, their family, they, uh, she can, she got breast cancer, stage two breast cancer. And she had to get a, after the chemo and radiation, she had to get a double mastectomy because she had that special gene that predisposed her to future breast cancer. And her bills, uh, could you imagine this? You're, you're going through this traumatic time in your family, and then you get over 600 bills sent to your house. And right. that amounted to over $400,000 in medical expenses. 
And that's what we do is we help Solidarity stepped in and helped navigate for that family. We took those 600 bills, uh, renegotiated them down to under $200,000. Wow. And so with this family then, since um, they were responsible for the first $1,500 out-of-pocket costs in health care, so anything above that $1,500 up to the under 200000 that was a shareable medical expense, and it was a shared among our community. And so to me, that, that's such a, a, a blessing when we fall back and we have an organization like Solidarity help navigate our families through this barrage of health care. It, it's a, it's a, just a complete mess, Paul. Yep. I mean, trying to, trying to get in to see a doctor. What insurance do you have? You know, this is what you're going to pay. Here's what we're going to bill. You know, and a lot of people, um, they're so busy in their lives, they, they're not familiar with the games that are being played out there. And I'll give you a classic example. We had one bill that was submitted to Solidarity in a, in a hospital, say, for one of our members, and we were billed $200 for a mucus collection device. That was a box of tissues. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, and so we were able to flag that and say, no, how about a dollar for that, right? And so people don't know what's happening out there in healthcare, and they need an advocate like Solidarity, in my opinion, to help navigate through this mess. And so it does put Solidarity, if you're a health sharing ministry member of Solidarity, it puts a little more burden on the family because they have to understand how this works and they have to know when to call Solidarity, when to engage Solidarity. But it's still better than the alternative where you show your health insurance card and you have no idea what things cost and things get completely out of control with spending. And, you know, now families are paying more for their health insurance every month than they are for their monthly mortgage. You know, that stuff's got to stop. And I think we're a great solution, not only for the financial side, but be there to support that family when they go through these difficult times. Because dealing with cancer is hard enough spiritually and emotionally. And then trying to deal with insurance companies on top of that and hospital systems, you know, um, they need, people need an advocate out there. Absolutely. And what's great about the community is that you feel like you're a part of helping other people in your sharing costs. And that's the beauty of solidarity and beauty of community. So this has been great, man. We're going to have to have you back on. Uh, Brad Hahn, Solidarity HealthShare, SolidarityHealthShare.org. Um, yep, let's stay in touch, man, and have fun at your daughter's basketball tournament. Yeah, thank you. Have a blessed advent. All right, man. God bless. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George in studio. Adam Conk, Adam, hey, you're back. Yeah, it's good to hear from Mr. Brad Hahn. That's right, Paul and Adam talking all things art of living. Man, some people are on the front lines of certain things. Sounds like he's up on that front line. Yeah, we need to pray for him, man, for spiritual protection. Because honestly, like the ministry that they're doing is is really the front lines. And when you're dealing with politicians and the world and money and you know, greed, and they're they're just walking the spiritual moral line, totally, completely, uh, you know, unapologetically. Like it's it's impressive, and it's good. 
it's good stuff, man. Mm-hmm. So, but here I was kind of like, I wanted to kind of like ha- have a little bit of fun, but I couldn't because it was serious. But <coughs> you know, in my mind, but I was thinking $200 for a box of tissue. What did he call them? A mucus collection device. <laughs> I, yeah, mucus. Like, so, so here's the deal somebody's lying about that. Yeah. Like, like someone's moral conscience does not care that they can charge $200 for um, Kleenex, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And so they just write the bill and then they overcharge. It's like you pay, you know, $50 for two Tylenol, you know. Yeah. And you don't ever see that. They just send that bill to the health insurance company and then everyone's just, the inflation on the cost in the healthcare, everyone's just making much more than the reality of what things actually cost, you know? And it's almost like price gouging. It is, and it's out of control. And you're right, there's a moral component to it. And I think, like he said, you know, I was really inspired when he said, you know, nobody's really looking out for lay people. And even in the church, the big conversation amongst the hierarchy and the big wigs is to protect church institutions, the parishes, the schools, that kind of stuff. But what about lay people who just go to work and want to take care of their families, which is like 90% of the church? Yeah, no, and here's the here's the <laughs> tension, man. And some people don't want to talk about it, but you know, the clergy and the bishops, they're all taken care of. You know, they have they have you know, a paycheck and retirement and health insurance. Yeah. And all the laity, which is the majority of the church, the overwhelming majority of the church, their consciences aren't being protected in a sense of like, you know, we're just kind of left on our own to do what we need to do or how to do it. And there's no one fighting for us. Yeah. You know, I guess we have to fight for ourselves. Yeah. The church just says, do the right thing. And you're like, well, how, where, what are my options? When, what are my options? You know? And so I think it's great that they're asking that question and they're fighting for the majority of people who want to be faithful to the church and the church's teaching. And at the same time, know that we all have to have health care. So the story of the woman, you know, with cancer, God bless her and her family and the journey they've been going through, six hundred thousand dollars in in costs, they were able to trim it down to two hundred thousand dollars. She only pays fifteen hundred out of pocket. Yeah. You know, which is her deductible for the year. Well, and to clarify too, I mean, solidarity is a non profit and everybody needs to realize too. Like they're right. they're trying to give that family, that faithful family, the ability to get great health care and spend $1,500 for it. Right. Um, and all the 6,000 families who belong to it. But they couldn't do it if it was $600,000. No. And the way they trim it down, it's not like they're not cutting, they're not taking money out of doctors' hands or, you know, like that's what the healthcare workers are still getting paid. Yep. They're getting paid fair market value for things. What's happening is health insurance companies and other sort of middle, middle management, middle you know, operatives are in there are inflating the cost and, you know, making all this side money and all these things that are completely, which makes me beg the question is how do you really help form someone's conscience and their, their moral, you know, coding so that people make this good decisions based on truth, right? Yeah. If not, people can just do whatever they want, how they want, when they want, where they want to do it. And, and literally I don't, and then they sleep at night, maybe. I don't know. Or <laughs> well, drink a lot. Like, what? Well, and honestly, this is some of the frustration I've had with the church's response to the healthcare crisis 
in the past decade or so is that we mainly want to fight for coverage for everyone. Like that's the big thing, which is a good thing. I mean, we should, everyone should have healthcare and access to healthcare. It's a, it's a right, if you will, but even more so it's, it's an obligation that us as human beings and the church have to take care of everyone we can. Right. But there also needs to be a prophetic witness to speak to the immorality of a lot of the healthcare system in our country. And, charging $200 for a box of Kleenex or uh, quadruply charging or sometimes 200%. You know, I've seen some medication charges from Solidarity that they've talked down medication like 200%. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. But somebody needs to be out there saying you cannot overcharge people who are in a desperate situation. It's awful. It's awful. If someone doesn't know what else to do because they just had a heart attack and you take advantage of it, you have to stop. Yeah. That's not okay, you yeah. know? And um, that's why I think it's cool that they negotiate for you. Because I, I don't have, I don't know what I'm talking about if I'm going to call a doc, you know, doctor's office and say, you know that box of Kleenex or that mucus collection device, whatever? I don't know what I'm talking about, but, but they do, so I'm glad they exist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So here's what, here's what bothers me more so, is how do we, you and I and people listening, how do we make sure that that our our conscience is formed so we make good moral decisions based on who Christ is calling us to be. And, and then therefore, how do we help other people form their conscience? You know, so I, I know in, 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 in the natural law and God's natural design, everyone is oriented to, to goodness and truth and beauty, right? And away from evil. Yeah. And away from evil. So So like, I think people who even do bad things morally bad like there's something in their heart that's saying this is there's something wrong here but you also have people who have strayed so far away from truth that it seems like they don't have a conscience yeah we call them sociopaths <laughs> something <clears throat> like that and we all have it in us to to get so hard a heart that we literally don't care if something's wrong yeah so here's what I've been reflecting on. You know, I was writing about this actually this morning when I was preparing for a talk is that St. Paul um, has this line in, and he says this, he says, but we have the mind of Christ this is in first Corinthians. And that to me is a mystery. We have the mind of Christ. I mean, uh, and so I really reflected on that. I mean, I don't literally have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Paul. I was given a mind to think and, and, you know, to learn and, you know, but I, I am, and you are, and everyone else is filled with thoughts, desires, emotions. Like so, we it says something like we have something like between fifty and eighty thousand thoughts a day. So like our minds are moving and shaking. So when Saint Paul says we have the mind of Christ, it really kind of says, well, what, what does that really mean that we have the mind of Christ? Here's the reality: is it, you know, the more and more we come to know Jesus. It's not just a one-time knowing. It's a constantly learning and reading and growing and reflecting. The more and more that our minds become uh, in line with with Jesus, the way Jesus thinks, the way, what Jesus does, the way how Jesus acts, Jesus begins to form our minds and our hearts, our intentions for good, for beauty, for, for, for truth, right? Mm. But the less that we do that, then the more that we're actually forming or other people are forming our minds, you know, and our conscience. So someone can say, you know, it's okay to, you, you could take that. It, 
you know, you could, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and, and then what ends up happening is that our minds aren't being formed by Jesus. And we have a responsibility to form our conscience, but not on our own, you know, like by Jesus, like you said. Yeah. And uh, I think I think it's helpful to remember that, you know, the tradition of the church, we talk about the intellect, the mind, having two basic activities, if you will. One is completely passive, where we receive knowledge. It's like seeing. And so anytime the Scripture speaks about seeing, seeing God face to face, or whatever, one will see God in heaven, the beatific vision... Our intellect sees, which means it just takes in what is before it, right? It can. But then we also have an active intellect or this act by like where based on what I see, I now understand what I'm seeing, right? So the more we spend time with Christ in prayer and our life and follow him as, as his disciples, the more we see Jesus, mm. take him in, yeah. right? And this forms us, but we have an obligation to understand what we see. And this is the role of study, right? To actually yep. study what the church teaches. Yep. Study what, you know, if, if, I, if I'm seeing something from Christ in my prayer, I can't just leave it on the level of what I feel or I think he's saying. I have to understand it. I have to try to um, wrestle with it and come to some conclusion about it. And that's what we call forming our conscience as, as yep. Christians, is that we receive from Christ, we see him, we follow him every day, but then the seeing of Christ leads to me understanding. And this is what, you know, the famous axiom, faith-seeking understanding, this is what it's yep. all about. I follow Jesus not because I understand him or because, in other words, like, I'm not going to let Jesus be uh, a conclusion where I'm like, what's the best thing to do? Oh, follow Jesus, I'll follow Jesus. I follow Jesus because I see him and I'm, I'm enraptured by him, and I know through faith that he's the one I need to follow. But that needs to lead to forming my conscience so that I understand who I'm seeing. Yeah, and to loop back around the church and in, in all its credit, is that that's the church is for, to f- help form our conscience. Mm-hmm. Mentally, you know, spiritually, like to, to help form us to know goodness and beauty and truth and to know what's right and wrong and to, and to live that. You know, church isn't always good on saying like, "Here's how" or "Here's where," but but here's what. You know, like, right? Here's here, Jesus. Here's Jesus. <laughs> um, and so I think for the lay, a lot of normal people, lay people, is like we make sure that we're studying, we're growing, and we're surrounding ourselves with people who are helping to form our conscience as well. So, so good people who are following Jesus. If, if I'm struggling with a question or a moral decision, I, I should ask them as well and say, "Okay, what what about this? What about that?" And immerse myself in reading about Jesus, you know, reading the mm-hmm. Gospels, you know, r- just living in that relationship, praying and marinating, you know, as, as Father Champlain likes to say, you know, marinating with Jesus, you know. Is, yeah, marinating the Word. Marinating in the Word, like letting Jesus really begin to, to form our hearts and our minds as well. And, and this is what I... This is the mystery I think people don't understand. Is Jesus is alive. He's active. Yep. You know, his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. You know, so we don't just read about a good moral character. That's not what we're doing. This is about a relationship with a God who lives inside of us, who, when St. Paul says we have the mind of Christ, has the ability to transform our minds, mm-hmm. our way of thinking, our way of living, our way of doing. Uh, we, we can be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And transformed doesn't just mean improved. 
No. So, for example, like, if we treat Jesus as someone who can give us a better version of ourselves, right. this is not the path. Right. Because basically that's saying, all right, here's my path that I'm on already, and Jesus is a good, like, he's a good companion for this path right. that I'm on already, and I'm going to just keep listening he to him. and just makes me a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not that at all. It's It's a whole new life. It's a whole new way of being, and he's come to transform me into him, like you said, to take on the mind of Christ. But this happens in a daily following and a daily struggle to understand who we're following, a daily looking at Christ in the face, but then also applying my reason and my conscience to know who I'm looking at, yeah. to understand who it is that is in my life. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not really doing the Christian discipleship thing, and I can't expect to be able to walk into any healthcare situation or any other conscience situation and know what to do. Because I don't know Jesus unless I see him, and I can't act on who I know unless I understand how to act, right? Like, right. And in a community, like you said, it's a great place to form conscience. It's kind of like if, um, let's say I'm in a community where we're all looking at a piece of art. I don't know much about art. I don't know if you do, but let's just say we were. And we're all looking at the same painting, and I say... I think I see a little red in that corner. And you're all like, no, that you're crazy. It's brown. I'm like, oh, I guess it's brown. It's like that with Jesus. When we're all looking at Jesus together and our, just receiving who he is together, but then we try to understand who he is and we say, oh, I think Jesus has asked me to do this. So I think we can say, well, that doesn't really sound like Jesus. Right. And that's the danger of self-interpretation. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm the only one who's interpreting what Jesus is saying and I'm simply the the navigator of that, then I could be off, you know? Yeah. And, and big time. And if I don't have other people who are helping to navigate that and say, no, actually this is what Jesus says. This is what the church teaches calling me back to really think, you know, it's, you know, and this is why we say, you know, when, you know, since we have, you know, Pope Benedict on the show today, um, <laughs> he says the word conversion means to rethink. Like mm. when you challenge my thought process, that causes me to rethink it in a different way. That's a that's a conversion moment, you know. Like, oh, okay. Well, let me let me rethink about that. The way I was thinking was okay, but now I need to think about it differently. I'm rethinking, and it's causing me to have a conversion. My mind is being transformed right now mm -hmm. into thinking more like Jesus. This is what happens, and so that's the beauty of it all. And you know, as we circle back in the show and kind of come to a close, is this is what Advent is. It's a time of rethinking, a time of allowing Jesus to transform our minds and hearts to be more like him, to be more like the Holy Family, like this is what it's all about. So, Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about this. Jesus wants us to be joyful and happy and have purpose, but the only way to have that is to be more like him, like honestly. Not to be more like the world or not to have more, but to be more like him. That's where we find true joy and peace in our life. So follow him. Follow Jesus. Let's do it. And get an Advent uh, calendar with candy in the middle. Yeah, so if you've this never is, done that, we, we've been doing that for some time. It's okay. pretty awesome. Where, do, where, where can I get one of those? Just hop on Amazon. Just Okay. I will, I will, I'm going to enter into Advent in a whole new it's way. It's pretty awesome. It's a calendar, and there's these little doors on each day. You open the door and there's a little chocolate in it. Yeah, but how do you split that chocolate amongst all your kids? Well, you get six of them. Six calendars. Yeah, because they're cheap. Oh, got you. Okay. All right. That makes more sense. Yeah. So I can get my own. 
Open my own little door. This is Paul's calendar. Get my own little Everybody candy. stay away from Paul's calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a kid in my home who would open up his door and my door and take the candy. So I got to hide that thing. Anyway, great to be with you today. Great conversation. Thanks to Brad Hahn. Uh, you can get the show on podcast and share it. Paul George, um, actually discover the art of living, uh, com or paulgeorge.la, uh, Google play iTunes, the whole deal. Um, and thanks to the radio station for airing it. I uh, can get the book, Rethink Happiness, a great book for Advent and for Christmas. And uh, yeah, share the show, get people involved. And uh, we're super excited to be with you today. So thanks, Adam. And we'll be back next week. Discover the other living. Paul and Adam. God bless. <laughs>